Hi, my name's Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. And welcome to episode 49 of the podcast. In this episode, we're going to look at how you can give your characters the right characteristics. But before I get started, I just want to mention that for my next episode, number 50, I have an interview with multi-award winning author Nancy Cress. We had a great conversation about characterization as well as other aspects of the craft. I found it really helpful talking to Nancy and hearing what she had to say, and I hope you will do too. That episode will be out on Friday, November the 27th. So back to this episode's topic, we're looking at character in the podcast at the moment. And now that we've talked about character essence, a motive and goal, and we've had time to have a glimpse into the interior life of the character, it's time to think about how to dress them. And by dress them, I don't just mean their physical characteristics and their clothing. I mean some of the more personal aspects of who they are, from personal quirks to hobbies, from habits to belief. In an earlier episode, I said that I didn't believe in the pick and mix method for creating characters. That's the idea that we can somehow create a coherent character from just throwing a few traits together, from just picking them randomly. In my view, this just doesn't work. I think it's far better to establish the essence of your character, the core of who they are, and their goals and motivations And that is the basis for then finding the right characteristics for them. So in this episode, we're going to look at what kind of characteristics we can give our characters, the best way to give them the right characteristics. And we'll look at some examples of how writers have used characteristics of all kinds to complement and enhance the essence or core of their characters. So first of all, what kind of characteristics should we be thinking about? By characteristics, first of all, we're talking about physical characteristics like height, gender, size, shape, hair colour, and perhaps the physical aspects of race, as well as any scars or distinguishing marks. And we're talking, of course, about dress as well. So clothing, accessories, shoes, hats, stuff like that. Then we're also talking about hobbies, habits, beliefs, superstitions, names and nicknames, compulsions, even the psychological well-being or fragility of your character. And as you consider all this, of course, you soon come to realise that there's a vast amount to choose from. But the good news is, if you are now coming to the point where you want to have a look at a range of characteristics like that, there are a number of resources around, including plenty of them on the internet. And I'll add one or two of them to the show notes so that you can go and have a look for yourself. And the fact that there are so many of these characteristics to choose from is one of the reasons why I think you have to have an idea of who your character is fundamentally before you start on the process. For example, on the Fiction Writers Mentor site, you'll find that there are 443 character traits to choose from, and that's just personality traits. But what I try to remember when I'm thinking about characteristics for a character is that this isn't just a trolley dash. You aren't trying to grab as many traits and features for your character as possible. Rather, I think you're trying to do three things. First of all, you're giving the reader enough so that they can do a bit of work for themselves, use their own imagination to make the character their own. And that, of course, will make the character more real to them. Secondly, you want to be picking characteristics that complement the essence of the person you've created. And thirdly, you're picking characteristics that will work with the plot. So let's explore all that a little bit further and in more detail as we ask the question, how do you pick the right characteristics? Well, first of all, I would suggest that you be sparse and specific. And I first used the phrase, be sparse and specific, way back in episode three of the podcast. And what I mean by this is use very clear 
and specific descriptions for your characters. But don't give too much, so make them quite vivid and clear, but don't put loads and loads of them in. Let the reader do some of the work for themselves. So just to give you an example of this, from the Hunger Games books, the protagonist Katniss Everdeen is described very simply as having straight black hair, olive skin, and grey eyes. And that's pretty much the physical description we get of her, certainly to start with. But it's her personality that really sells her. Strong, popular, resourceful, a provider. And yet underneath, she's also conflicted about her feelings between two close male characters, Gail and Peter. Second thing to think about, so let the traits that you use complement the character. Let's have a look at some examples of this around intellectual or clever characters. If you think about the character Sherlock Holmes, for example, he had a broad and eclectic range of tastes. We know about the violin and we know about the pipe, but he was also interested in chemistry, in miracle plays and in fencing. If we think of a more contemporary example, Colin Dexter's Inspector Morse character enjoyed opera, cryptic crosswords and real ale. What about some other characters with obvious intelligence? Well, of course, we could have a look at Elizabeth Bennet, and she is described by Jane Austen as having a lively, playful disposition which delighted in anything ridiculous. So that tells us something about Elizabeth Bennet, but also as you read the book, you realise that when Elizabeth goes and speaks to her father in his library, they are speaking as intellectual equals. Her father treats her, amongst all the rest of them, including her mother, as his intellectual equal. And that tells us as the readers that Elizabeth is an intelligent woman. Another aspect to think about is that although we're giving our characters characteristics that suit them, we also want to make them unique. Giving a character their own unique quirk, something that's almost contradictory to those other traits that you've already explained, is a great way of ensuring that you don't fall into the trap of creating a stereotype. The strong, heroic, perfect male is really a fatally useless character. Just like the strong, perfect, heroic female is equally useless, really. Far better to create characters that are human with strengths and weaknesses, but that transcend the old stereotypical gender roles. In fact, I would say having characters which just conform to old stereotypical gender roles is not going to get you anywhere. In contemporary fantasy, for example, you'll get a lot further having the female protagonist rescue the prince from the tower than the other way around. Just make sure that your female protagonist isn't boringly perfect. In Thomas Hardy's book, Far From the Madding Crowd, the heroine, the wonderful Bathsheba Everdeen, is an astonishing protagonist. She is brave and resourceful and generous and practical. She's a visionary, she's courageous, and yet she falls for the unloving, gambling rogue that is Sergeant Troy. From this era of judgment, all kinds of consequences flow and the story in fact finds its climax. What about choosing characteristics that complement the plot? Well, this could be something very simple. For example, Harry Potter's scar is an integral part of the plot in all of those books. Even Bilbo and Frodo's ring from The Lord of the Rings. The ring is a kind of character trait. When one of the hobbits has and owns that ring, it is a part of them. In Victor Hugo's The Hunchback of Notre Dame, the dominant physical characteristic of the protagonist, Quasimodo, is his hunched back, but he's also deaf and he has a wart that covers one of his eyes. Now the hideous nature of this character sets an excellent context for what Hugo wants to do, which is in fact to explore the cruelty and injustice of the society around him. And that context sets a sharp contrast to Esmeralda's kindness to the protagonist. So let's move on and think about how you can best show these characteristics. 
Well, first of all, you can seed these things into the story. In fact, it's a positively good idea to try and do that so that you don't stop your story just to give a kind of laundry list of characteristics for your characters. Give just enough in description for your character within the story. And if you take dialogue and mix it with a bit of body language and perhaps a little bit of context, a bit of physical description within the scene, you can move the plot along and give your readers a real insight into the character, especially the non-physical aspects of your character, like their psychology. As an example, in my short story, Traveller's Blues, I wanted to show one of the characters, Derek, or Lonely Derek, as he's known, on the verge of physical and psychological exhaustion. And I did this through having him engage in conversation with the protagonist, a man called Blake. And I'm gonna read a passage from that story to show you how this works. In the passage, which is in the first person and from Blake's point of view, Blake and Derek are in the galley of a spaceship. And this is a transport ship carrying frozen humans in cryogenic pods to a distant colony planet. The journey is nearly over. It's been a long journey and they've nearly got there. And the exhaustion that the crew feels has now turned to paranoia. First of all, because one of the crew, Tash, seems to have taken her own life. And secondly, because the cryopods, which Derek is responsible for, seem to have been sabotaged. As I read this passage, notice how I've used this mix of scene and dialogue to present the characters. I found Derek in the galley, sitting at the table, staring straight ahead. A cold mug of coffee sat in front of him. Is anyone else out there? He said as I came in. No. Shut the door, Blake. I hesitated. We never usually close the galley door. I said shut the door! He was still staring ahead, the black flecks of stubble visible on his white face. I shut the door, hinges whining, and the silence made me nervous. Derek sighed loudly and started picking at the rim of the table. Those pods, he said in a low conspiratorial tone. What about the pods, Derek? Someone mess with them. He picked up his cup and slurped. Son of a bitch, coffee that thing turns out. I picked up his mug and went over to the Venn machine, tipping the dregs of his last drink into the drip tray. Someone interfered with the pods, he said, staring straight at me. Why would anyone do that? I don't know, he said, but if I find out it was you, I'll kill you. I stopped filling his mug and stared at him. Ah, don't worry, he grinned at me. I don't think it was you. We wouldn't be having this chat if I thought it was you. Here you go, I said, passing the cup to him. Still, when I find out, he shook his head, messing with the pods, that's people's lives down there. I thought of Tash. She'd have known what to say to Derek right now. He always seemed calmer when she was around. No one messed with the pods, I said as I sat down opposite him. Come on, Derek, why would anyone screw around with the pods? We all want to get these people delivered safely. When I find out who did it, he sipped his drink, the cup wavering in his hand. Pods can malfunction. You know that better than any of us. It's a miracle you haven't lost one of the travellers on this run. Every trip's a miracle, Blake, he sighed. I think it was that bitch, Grace. He held the cup up in his hand and pointed a finger at me, coffee spilling on the table. She's been your second in on cryo for three trips, Derek. I know you trust her. He stared at me, coffee and saliva trickling down the corner of his mouth. Look, you're the expert, I said, but maybe we could check all the feeds again, see if there's a corrupt fluid supply. You've seen that before. The hell you know about it? Do I tell you how to do engineering? I'm just saying, okay, I said. You've told me off enough. Always worth checking the feeds. How many times have you said that? Always worth checking the feeds, repeated Derek. Damn right it is, Blake. It's always worth checking the engines, the bulkheads and the damn feeds. Those incompetent support, they never learn. If they've given us a corrupt feed, I'll... So help me, that's people's lives down there. I glanced at the door. Don't go yet, Blake. I'm talking to you. You're a good cryotech, Derek, I said. The best I've met, and I meant it. The pods will be safe with you. Tash wasn't safe though, was she? That was different, I said. But those travellers will be fine. You look after them. 
You wouldn't be saying that if you were in a pod that got interfered with. You wouldn't be saying that then, would you? But I'd trust you to look after me, I said. Derek looked at me and he laughed. It was a raw, desperate noise. I like you, Blake, he said finally. You're not an asshole like that idiot Appleby. He put down his cup. I'm not losing one, he said. Not even one. You won't, I said, getting up. You know what? I'm going to check those cryo feeds. Always worth checking the feeds, Blake. Good plan, Derek, I said, swinging the galley door slowly open again. Now, I hope you can see in that example how I've used a few characteristics like the gaunt, pale look of Derek's face, his wavering hand slopping coffee, and the awkward, sometimes circular dialogue that he has with Blake to give the impression of someone at their physical and emotional limit. And you should, from that passage, have some sense of the essence of Derek, as well as his goals and motives. So finally, as we think about ways in which we can present characteristics, let's think about the interior life of the character. Now, I talked about the interior life of the character in the last episode, that was number 48, and using it as a way of revealing character and creating tension and giving the reader some insight into what's really going on. Sometimes a thought or an internal observation can give your reader a real insight into the character, especially if it's something that the character would not want to share with others around them. And if you want to find out a little bit more about that, just check back to the previous episode. So let's sum up what I've said today. There's a wide range of characteristics that you can apply to your character, but it's important, I think, to get the essence of the character and their goals and motivations right first. Once you've done that, you've got the basis from which to choose some characteristics and use characteristics that still give the reader space to imagine the character, but also characteristics that complement the character and the plot and give the character some uniqueness that will ensure that they're not a stereotype. And to help you convey the character, you can use dialogue and setting and a mixture of those two, as well as just straightforward description and presenting the internal life of the character. And you can seed those details into the story so that the whole story doesn't grind to a halt just because you're reading out a list of characteristics. So I hope that's all been useful to you. Today, I have referred to the following characters and works. Katniss Everdeen from the Hunger Games series published by Scholastic, Sherlock Holmes from the novels by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle which are in the public domain, Inspector Morse from the novels by Colin Dexter published by Pan, Elizabeth Bennet from Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen which is in the public domain, Bathsheba Everdeen from Far From the Madding Crowd by Thomas Hardy, a version of which is published by Wordsworth Classics, Quasimodo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame by Victor Hugo also published by Wordsworth Classics, and Lonely Derek from Traveller's Blues by Andrew J. Chamberlain, which is available as an ebook in all formats on iTunes, Smashwords, and Amazon. That's all for this episode. I'll be back in two weeks' time with episode 50, which, as I said earlier, is an interview with the Hugo and Nebula award winning author Nancy Kress. Until then, thank you for listening and goodbye. Ooh.